Hello and welcome to Getaway Day. This is episode 122. The end is nigh. We are in the last week of the Major League Baseball regular season and today we're going to go through kind of everything that happened in the Major League season. Obviously, we're not going to get to everything, but uh, hopefully give you a good recap and uh, we can go through all the things we were very, very, very wrong about over the course of this season and uh, we're never short of surprises within a six-month season and uh, a really exciting week of baseball lays ahead uh, for determining the last guys that are going to join the postseason. Um, I'm super stressed for the Cubs. Um, they've got to win some tough games against some tough opponents and get some help probably from some other teams as well. But uh, really looking forward to it. And I think the postseason is going to be awesome this year too. How's it going, Mason? Not too shabby. Thank you for asking, Doomsday. You're welcome. Um, yeah, so for those of you that are very confused, uh, if you're just listening and not seeing the actual slide that I've got here, or our, our background thing for the, the video version, uh, I've decided we're just going to start giving ourselves random names. Uh, today he's Doomsday, I'm Darkseid, because the end is nigh, so yeah, you might as well. Um, no, I'm I'm doing great. It is getting exciting. It's weird not having a horse in the race, but it's honestly a little bit uh, forgetting about how bad my team is and how they just make me sad a lot right now. It's really refreshing to see a new group of teams that are actually making the playoffs this year. Like I, some of these guys are old hat. Like you still have Atlanta, the Dodgers in Milwaukee that are currently in line for the divisions in the national league. And two of them have already clinched the divisions in Milwaukee as well on their way. Um, but outside of that, like you're starting to get some new teams here in Baltimore and Texas, Minnesota is not always in the postseason. Um, some of the teams that are vying for the wild cards. And so it's making this last week really, really interesting with a lot of really interesting matchups, especially head-to-head matchups between some of these teams. So it's really nice uh, just for the the freshness, the newness of, of the postseason race here that we haven't seen in a very long time. Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of a different experience, right, when you don't have a horse in the race. It's like, hey, you know, you can enjoy all the teams and root for all the teams at the same time, honestly. Yeah, uh, there's only, let's see, out of the teams that are left in it, uh, two teams that I actively root against, and that's about it. The Cubs and they and the both Brewers. happen to be from, uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> every other team I kind of like. I yeah. have reasons to root for each and every one of them. And, you know, as long as the World Series champion doesn't come out of the NL Central, I'm good. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So um, we'll start off with some This Week in Baseball before we get into big picture, season long type things. But um, as you referenced, there's some head, big head to head matchups coming up this week, specifically in the AL West. And what in the world has happened with the Houston Astros over the last nine games? They've played the Royals six times, 
and the A's three times, and they've only won two of those games. And they find themselves now just, uh, what, a half game uh, ahead of the Seattle Mariners, who also themselves lost all three games head-to-head with the Rangers of the weekend. So both these teams are coming in, like, licking their wounds a little bit and with some major stress on both of these teams to actually come out of this series the winner. Otherwise, they're going to be facing an uphill battle going into the final weekend. Yeah, so I'm not going to lie. Going into this uh, this weekend series that we just finished up, my entire line of thinking was that the... Um, the Astros were safe. Well, the the Astros were safe, and that the uh, Seattle and Texas matchup they had seven games left: the three game series that we just finished, and four games to end the season. And it was my belief that whichever team took four or more of those head to head games was going to be the other team in the um, in the postseason. And now, I mean. Texas has already won three out of those seven. They're well on their way to clinching the playoffs and and getting into the getting into the big tourney here. But yeah, with Houston dropping three straight to Kansas City of all teams, yeah, that was probably one like, of the worst uh, sweeps of the season. Honestly, like this Royals team is not good. They're playing better. They've got some interesting pieces, but they are not a good team. They have a terrible yeah. bullpen and. Uh, Houston just could not come through at all in any type of runners in scoring position uh, situation this entire weekend, it felt like. And sometimes that happens, but it's it's usually not so extended and against such a bad opponent. So I guess, like, what, do you, what are your thoughts going into this head-to-head series between these two teams, the Mariners and the Astros? What are the pitching matchups for this series? Do you know? Yeah, so... The pitching matchups are Justin Verlander and um, Luis Castillo today. It's uh, Christian Javier and George Kirby tomorrow. And then Wednesday right. is Framber Valdez and Bryce Miller, the rookie. Okay. All three of those are really good pitching matchups. Bryce yes. Miller, while he is maybe the the one unproven guy out of that bunch, um, he's been having a great season, and so I think that is a really good matchup. I think this will end up being, as I think everyone would expect, a, a duel of the starting pitchers. Whichever starting pitchers last longer over the course of the series, that team is going to win. And, I mean, that kind of makes sense. That's just how baseball works. But, like, this, it's going to come down to who who can get to that bullpen first? Because the bullpens are the weaker points of these teams. And well, wait, wait, the, wait a minute. They're both really good bullpens, actually. Yeah, they are, but they're but better rotations than they are bullpens. And their bullpens are what have been struggling. Bullpens and their hitting is yes. what has been struggling. So if you can get to the bullpen, it means you are hitting. If you can get to the bullpen and then pounce on the bullpen, you're going to be in good shape. Yeah, like the Mariners, we've talked about their rotation being amazing all year. And this weekend, they just, you know, they did not get the job done against the Rangers, who have a great offense. And Houston's kind of in the same boat. Like, I know they had bad series against the Royals, but 
this team's very good offense. And uh, I think, yeah, that's that feels like the biggest matchup, maybe. The single matchup, like, can the Mariners starting pitching shut down the Astros, as they have in the previous series? They've actually done really well against the Astros this season. So that feels like something I'll be watching for here. My question is, which position player is going to come in clutch? Because both of these teams are going to need to find someone to ride. Because it just, it seems like that has been the biggest issue kind of over the course of the year with these two teams when they go in slow stretches is they're just not hitting usually. And Seattle has run into that a lot where the entire team cools off. Cal Raleigh doesn't hit very well. Julio has a slow stretch. Uh, Kelnick after his first 60 games or whatever, just kind of trailed off and, and it left him with having JP Crawford getting on base but J.P. Crawford isn't a, a bomber. He's not going to hit a bunch of home runs. He's going to he can't alone carry you to a victory. And it kind of feels like this is going to be a series where you're going to have to hit a long ball. And that might be the difference. So who is going to be that difference maker for each team? Is Jordan going to show up for the Astros? If not Jordan, who will? For the Mariners, it's a lot bigger question because they have less bonafide superstars than the Astros on the offensive side of the ball. So can somebody show up, get hot, get locked in, and carry this team through the uh, through the, the series here and give them a good shot at the postseason? Yeah, after Julio was carrying the team for a bit, and actually the entire team was hitting really well, it feels like, yeah, they've kind of cooled down. But this weekend, that was not the problem against the Rangers. The middle of their order, Raleigh... Oscar Hernandez, Suarez, Jared Kelnick, they all had really good series overall. It was just other parts of the the team kind of failed them. So uh, I think I think someone from that that lineup can step up for for uh Seattle and for the Astros, I think uh, another guy that's been doing it all year is Kyle Tucker. He's he's a guy that can get hot and have an insane series. I've got Chas McCormick. He's, he's also been great this year. Yeah. He's my guy for the series, I think, for the Astros. Chas McCormick. Okay. If he's popping, the Astros are going to win. They're going to be in the postseason. All right. Uh, the, the one group that I kind of want to give a little bit of a, a moment to, I don't necessarily want to give them love because I don't think they quite deserve it, but... The Rangers bullpen did not completely fall apart in the series against the the Mariners. They did manage to keep leads in three consecutive games. So it probably I don't think it was pretty if I remember right, like at all. Uh, it was not pretty. They didn't technically blow the saves. So kudos to the Rangers bullpen uh, doing the bare minimum and. Uh, yeah, they the Rangers now. have been a very odd team, but they've uh, put themselves in great position. But they've been extremely streaky this last month, where they basically week by week they're like either on a huge winning streak or a huge losing streak, and it's been going on for four straight weeks now. So yeah, just, right now they're on a five-game winning streak. So yeah, which was preceded, I think, by a 
like a six game losing streak or something. I think so. Yeah. So or, uh, uh, not a six four, game four game losing streak. I think. Yeah. Yeah, that feels that sounds right. And before that, they had swept the uh, the Blue Jays, so it's like just pendulum swinging back and forth. And uh, they, on paper, have a easy matchup with the Angels to start the the week, but we'll see what actually happens. Yeah, I'm thinking Zach Neto is going to single handedly just destroy this bullpen. <laughs> okay. That's that's what I'm feeling. I'm just I think this last week is just going to be a bunch of like each team's going to have one guy that's just amazing, and that's just how the week's going to be. There's no team that's going to be completely clicking except for the Braves. Oh, okay. Uh, the one other thing with the wild card race here for the American League, I kind of got a little excited with the fact that the Yankees weren't completely out of it last week. Uh, and I curse them, and they are completely out of it now. Um, yes. There is absolutely zero hope for the Yankees to make the postseason, which I think is actually a lot of hope for Yankees fans because Boone and Cashman are both on the hot seat, and Boone has not been told that he'll be back next year. So I think Yankees fans are actually kind of happy that they're not making the uh, – Postseason, with the exception of probably Sevac, but I know Rachel and and DZ are are with me here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that team has so, a lot of uh, thinking to do this this winter. Yeah, and thinking is not how strong suit. <laughs> okay. So it'll be fun. We'll have to get the brain trust in there. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, we'll just quickly go over this one, but while these other teams are kind of having bad stretches, the Cubs could have very well pulled an Astros here and, uh, you know, lost some games to a really bad team in the, in the um, Rockies. And they did not do that. They actually swept the Rockies and this is kind of off topic, but have you noticed that the Rockies are like even worse than normal? Like this is the worst Rockies team in franchise history. So, have the Rockies not had a hundred game? They have never lost a hundred games and they've really? never, this is the worst offense that they've ever had in their history. They have a team WRC plus of 74, meaning they're 26% worse than, uh, than league average. Interesting. So I didn't realize that they were that much worse. Like they're I terrible. knew, that, I knew they were bad yeah. and I knew their pitching was some of the worst pitching that they've ever had. Which is saying a lot, because that's a team that has struggled with pitching since their inception in 93. But yeah, I I didn't realize this was the worst that they have ever been. Dang. Yep. And they're the only team with a worse record than the St. Louis Cardinals in the entire National League. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) And then the Blue Jays ended up winning two out of three against the Rays. That was pretty big for them. Now they seem like they're kind of in position there to take the number two wild card after the, probably the Rays. So good good on the Jays there. And, uh, and I, I believe that puts, was it three more games against Tampa and three more against the Yankees? 
Yes. All right. Yeah, I'm, they're, they're pretty well. I mean, they're two games ahead of Houston, two and a half ahead of Seattle. They're if they can go, if, if they can win three out of the next six, they have guaranteed themselves a spot. So they just have to go 500 from here on out, which feels very attainable, especially with the fact that the Yankees aren't playing for anything anymore. The Rays are technically still in it for the division. Yeah, that's true. So they're going to be playing probably till the day that they're not actually able to reach the Orioles, but seems like Orioles kind of in control at this point. Yeah. But that top spot is pretty important here. Cause oh, yeah. the top it's spot in that huge. division has the top spot in the league, which gives you home field advantage until the World Series. But even more important than that, in the very first round, you don't have to play it if you win the division. That's true. So that's very true. It does have the first round by. So Yeah. Cause it's the the top two division winners get a buy, right? Correct. Yep. Okay. So the, the twins are essentially locked into that three seed. Um, just like the you Brewers are in the NL. You don't think the twins can make up four games on Texas this week? Texas gonna is go, gonna go oh. Texas is gonna go 0 and six. If they go 0 and six, they're not making the playoffs. Fair enough. But yeah, I think uh, we'll see how it all plays out. I think in the NL, I think we got to move on to other stuff because we've talked pretty extensively about these races. But it seems like the Reds and the Giants are kind of basically out of it now. And it's basically the Marlins, the Cubs, and the Diamondbacks fighting for two spots. Yeah, a uh, quick honorable mention to the Padres for actually pulling themselves almost back into it. Yeah, just right. They didn't quite time. get there, but they went on a on a run. They're nine and one in the last ten games. And it was so fitting that the one game that they've lost recently was an extra inning game to push their record to zero and twelve in extra innings this year. Yeah, against the Cardinals. Yeah. I honestly, I kind of hoped the Cardinals would have got swept that series. Like I, yeah, I was actively, I was actively see. rooting for the Cardinals to score a ton of runs, but give up a lot more than they scored. Yeah, and Padres then they managed to win. Out, yeah, ridiculous. All right, and what else we got? Finally, we got Joey Votto's potential last game in Cincinnati uh, as a Red. And this was a cool moment because he got, you know, standing ovation. The best part about the standing ovation was, you know, he was soaking it all in, taking it all in. And then he just like basically cut it off by he verbally said the words, "Okay, I got to go hit now. And then he went up to the plate and took his at bat and he struck out and he struck out a second at bat. He took a hit by pitch and a third at bat. And then in the fourth at bat, he ended up um, getting a base hit and getting removed for a pinch runner and got a massive uh, ovation, went out, did his curtain call and everything. And uh, they talked to him after the game and, you know, typical Joey Votto fashion gave some interesting answers. Um, Joey Votto is one of a kind. Like I, I hope this is not the end and, and I somehow feel like he's going to be back. Like, I don't feel like he's a 100% done playing yet. I think the Reds are going to find a way to bring him back on a, contract next year but 
if this is it for Joey Votto, like amazing career, one of my favorite players. And um, I do think, and I hope that this ends up being like an Adam Wainwright situation where you're not sure if he's going to come back. If he does, it will only be for this team and he'll just keep signing one year deals until he's done. Cause the, the reds owe him that in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's so, if he wants to be back, you know, maybe. Well, that's, that's else. the point. But with the, with this team having the, he feels like a guy that doesn't want to go anywhere else. I mean, he's been with that team through ups and downs and ins and outs and everything you could think of. He's been there with that team and he has essentially been the representation of the city of Cincinnati for a decade and a half. Like he feels like he wants to be there and I don't think he's going to go anywhere else. And with the, the young core that they're putting together here, like this is probably one of the better opportunities he's had to try and get to the promised land with the Reds. Yeah. I think it, it, the Reds have a, definitely they have an opportunity, but it just depends on what they do. If they, if they have a willingness to go spend some money this off season and, make some trades and, and improve the team. Like, yes, they can absolutely be a contender next year. Yeah. Okay. So 2023 MLB season, um, we had a lot of discussions about the rule changes over the course of the season. Um, now we've seen basically one full year of the enlarged bases, bases, uh, the um, pitch timer with um, for for uh, pitchers and and hitters to be ready for pitches. Um, the step off rule. The step off rule. The limited shift. Limited shift and what, what was the other rule? The balance schedule. That wasn't a rule though. Well, it, it was. I, I think I mean, that that's was the only else. other major change though. I think I feel like there was one rules. one other one, but. Maybe I can't remember right now. Anyways, so we've seen those rules working together with each other. Um, I'll just let you go off. Like, what what do you think? So I'm going to list them off one by one, and I want to hear your opinion on good or bad. Okay. So larger bases. Good. I'm happy about it. Limiting step-offs. Kind of neutral, no no issue with it. I think it's only really affected things twice, but it was... I I think it's it had an effect the whole season. It just, we only saw the rule need to be used like one or two times. Are you talking about when a pitcher... Disengagement. When they disengaged and didn't get a pickoff on the second attempt, basically? Yes. Yeah, or on the third attempt. Third attempt you can yeah. pick off twice. The third, you have to get it. And, like, it wasn't often that you would see a ton of pickoffs, but it did happen before. And we've only seen it happen, like, twice this year. So I think it did have an effect, and I kind of liked it. And it did okay. give a little more incentive for steals, and we saw some steals this year. So that was nice. Okay, so let's see. That was, what, larger bases, disengagements, pitch clock. Pitch clock definitely liked it. Agreed. I 
I loved the pitch clock. I think on average it brought the time of the game down like 35 or 40 minutes from last 25, year. 25 minutes. I'm 25? Sure. Still, that is substantial. And like being at games, it did feel like there was actually a pace to the game, like a consistent pace. And it, you didn't really have time to just sit there and lollygag and look around and then look back and they still haven't thrown the next pitch. So I don't mind that when I'm at the game. I feel like I liked it even better for TV watching. You know, it keeps things moving along and it, I thought it would like affect me more, but now I can't even imagine watching a game without the pitch clock because it just feels like it would be super slow. Yeah, and a lot of fans felt the same way and fans did show up in record numbers this year. <laughs> MLB likes to point out. Yep. Yeah. And I, but I, I think they're right. I do think it has something to do with the pace feeling a little bit more. There being more action. Like I think major league baseball, while we agreed earlier in the season that they probably shouldn't have done all the things at the same time, because then you can't really tell which one is causing the, the effect them just throwing a ton of darts at the wall ended up um, essentially taking the game and just changing it so much that it caught the attention of a lot more people. And people went, oh, the game feels different this year. Let's go. And they enjoyed it. They didn't know why, but they enjoyed it. And I I think that it ended up working out and can't be too mad at it. Well, you didn't ask about the shift restriction. Oh, Okay, shift restriction, good or bad? Bad. <laughs> I'm not changing my opinion on that ever. See, I, it also didn't have like a major impact, honestly. It, it didn't. So I'm indifferent on it. It had a minor impact. Like there are, it obviously the extreme shifts, like the four guys on one side of the field, those are gone. Really, that's the only thing that's changed. And yeah, you can't I mean, have and you can't have the short right field, short right fielder. So those two changes allowed a few more hits. And it kind of shows up in some of the guys batting averages. But right. So like I'm looking at a league average. We basically got six points of batting average from 243 last year to 249. Um, Which on know, a league wide level, that is a huge increase. It it is kind of, but it's also it's really not that big, right? It's a couple points of batting average. Yes, but it's a couple points batting average in a ton of plate appearances. So that's a lot more hits. Yeah, yeah. There was no question that it was going to increase the number of hits. I think everyone knew that, but it's just. But my my point is that that, along with the other changes, allowed people to have that impression that there was more happening in the game. There's you add one or two more hits to the hit column on the box score every game, along with some more steals, getting Ronald to 70, getting Bobby Witt to 50, getting Julio to 40 or 50, whatever he's at. I can't remember. Um, Like all those things together make a more interesting game. and. I think a lot of people have been voicing that opinion outside of the people that just major league baseball is touting. 
Because like ESPN has published articles about it. The Athletic has published articles about it. And everyone seems to like the game that we have right now today. So yeah. I, I, I think that all the bits that they changed did benefit the game. Whether or not you like each individual rule or not, it did have a an impact that was overall beneficial. I'm looking forward to if anyone does a study about the balls in 2023 because something I feel like something changed because we got way, way more home runs compared to last year. This year almost mimics 2021. Uh, there's already been uh, over 400 more home runs hit than last year with a week to go. Yeah, um, And the weird thing is that's all in the lower power guys because all of like the top guys I was looking earlier we had 27 players last season with 29 home runs or more. We have 29 players with 29 home runs or more right now. We had four guys with 40 home runs or more last season. Uh, or Sorry, four guys with 40 home runs that were not Aaron Judge. This year, we have five that are not Matt Olson. Matt Olson has 10 less homers than Judge, but it like the top 30 in the league pretty much mimics exactly what it was last year, with the exception of 10 less home runs for Olson than Judge. But the well, rest last, all pans out. Last year was a little bit of a different story because that was the most dead it's ever been with slugging in the league being 395. This year it's back up to 415, which is more in line with like 2021. Um so Maybe yeah, they my, did. My point being that the weird part is that it's not throughout the league that it was higher. It's like the top guys are staying the same as last year and the guys down low or the middle guys, those are the ones that saw the benefit. Yeah, I, I can't explain it. I don't know why that is, but uh, I I would say that something changed. Like it's not. Yeah, I, it definitely feels like something changed. But I want to see what and why or like why it had the effect that it did, because it just it doesn't make sense unless the top 30 guys just hit the ball so freaking hard that they didn't have any wall scrapers last year. They didn't have any wall scrapers this year. And so every home run was going to be a home run no matter what the ball was. There's no way that's the case, because a lot of these guys have hit quite a few wall scrapers. So what's different between these 30 guys and these everyone else's. So someone smarter than us get to work because we need the answers. Yeah, I would like to know, but uh, I definitely like this version of baseball better than 2022 where it seemed like just there was no offense. It seemed like pitchers were going out and dominating every night. I mean, I do enjoy a good pitching performance, but when every offense is getting dominated left and right, it's like the games are much more boring overall to me. Pitching was a little bit weaker pitching was this year, it seems. Very too. tough. Yeah. It was like we were looking at the whip leaderboard, and there's not one guy who's qualified who has a whip under one, which is I don't know for sure if that's super rare, but it feels feels like that doesn't happen uh, every year. And there were a lot of pitchers, really good top end starting pitchers that would have blow up starts more often than I'm used to seeing. And to me, like I'm okay with 
the the inflated ERAs and everything because it really makes those amazing pitching performances stand out for being something special. So last year, there were 10 guys with a whip under one. In 2021, there were four. In skip 2020. In 2019, there were five. 2018, there were six. 2017, there were four. So there's usually four to five. With 2022 being a really weird year based on everything we were just talking about. But the fact that we don't have any at all is also really weird. Yeah. And Garrett Cole has, I think, one more start this week. Yes, he does. So he could get there. He's at a 1.02. He could get there. Whip's not moving a whole lot at this point in the season. But yes, he could get there. It's not. He'd have to have like a, a perfect game. (laughs) <laughs> but technically it could happen. Yeah. Um, what other like big uh, trends or any like big picture stuff you want to talk about? Then we can talk about some teams. Yeah. I think just the, the thing that we've definitely talked about a lot. So we'll, we'll get through it pretty quickly here. I think is just the actual stolen base totals. Oh Yeah. And, like, and then I think that stolen base totals, I had the idea that it was going to affect the middle class of base dealers. Like the 10 stole, stolen base guys were going to become 20 stolen base guys. But I feel like that hasn't actually happened. It's just the extremely fast burners are now stealing like 20 to 30 more bases than they used to in the past. Yeah. So you have the stolen base like leaderboard up. I do. Sense? So okay. something that I was interested in looking at. So out of qualified uh, qualified hitters, um, in 2022, there were 20 guys who stole 20 bases or more. In this season, there are 31 with two more guys who could reach that that group this week. So. Yeah, it it seems to have increased the top end of the league. Like how quite many a bit. Four, how many forty steel guys did we have uh, last year? Because this zero. year we have uh, qualified batters zero. We did have John Birdie, John Birdie. but he okay. wasn't qualified as a as okay. A hitter. Fine. So one, but so this year we have uh, five that are above forty, with maybe some other guys that could get there with the big steals week. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Kim Ha-Sung and Julio Rodriguez are both sitting at 36. They could get there with a with a big week, but I don't know that they have any reason to try and do that. It's not like we're knocking on the 40-40 club here. So I don't know if they'll necessarily do it. The one guy who I think might try and go crazy this week, or the two guys I think that might try and go crazy this week just to get over a, a milestone is Acuna and Bobby Witt. Uh, and that's Acuna really not be, crazy, right? We're talking about one well, home no. run and two steals for Bobby Witt to reach a 30-50 season, which would be just And insane. we're talking two steals for Acuna to reach 40-70. Yes. Which is so, just nuts. You know those guys are going to be very, very uh, motivated to reach those milestones. Yes. The, the other guys that we might see trying to do something here is Kyle Tucker, who with a two home run week and one steal could join the 30, 30 club. Sure. Yeah. 
But yeah, I think outside of that, like I don't see anybody who has like a big incentive to steal this week. So that'll be fun. I didn't realize CJ Abrams was. Oh, I want to see him hit two home runs this week because I want to see him have uh, 2040. Wow, I did not realize he had 18 home runs, but he's been running wild in the second half and starting to hit well, too. So that's kind of exciting for Nationals fans. Dang, yeah. I I didn't realize he had 43 steals. So I I would love to see C.J. Abrams go hog wild this last week. For sure. Um. Okay, so beyond the rules changes, we talked about surprising teams and disappointing teams all throughout the season. And this season, I feel like it's unmatched in terms of how many disappointing teams there were and how wrong we were in our preseason projections. Like who would win the divisions? We were wrong about almost everything, especially in the National League. Actually, really both leagues, but three National League teams, the Mets, the Padres, the Cardinals, we each had them all making the playoffs, and um, neither of the, none of those three teams are going to make it. We also both had the Yankees making the playoffs, and clearly they're they're in a very different place right now. They're mathematically out of it tomorrow. So yeah, uh, basically the four most disappointing teams that we've been talking about all season. Yeah, they they screwed up our preseason predictions. I think I had the Padres winning the World Series. Was that right? We both did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that ain't going to happen. Uh, I think some of the other interesting things we were talking about, I think I predicted the the Brewers to not make the postseason at all. Yeah, we the both Dodgers did. to um, make the wild card. Yes. Which would have had the Padres win the division, I think. Yep. I had the Phillies winning the division. So basically don't listen to my preseason predictions because they are very, very, very wrong. But the thing is, your preseason predictions were not out on a limb. They were actually very like standard. A lot of people probably had the exact same thoughts as you did. And that's what makes this season a little bit different. I feel like it didn't follow the way that you and I thought it would go because even like knowing, you know, the intricacies of all these teams and knowing a lot and feeling like we're knowledgeable and everything, like it doesn't play out like that ever. And that's a, that's a thing about this league. Well, I think, the, I think the weirdest part is just how off the common um, perception of the league was. Because it's like a lot of the stuff that happened. Literally in last place, like yeah. they were, everyone like, had them winning the division. And the Padres went zero and twelve in extra inning games that very significantly impacted their record and their their ability to make the playoffs. Like the Mets, I, I don't even know. Like at the beginning of the season, like it didn't seem like they could met this time, and yet they did exactly what we probably should have expected they would do. <laughs> well, it was hard to expect that coming off a hundred plus win season. And, uh, you know, Cardinals had a great season last year. Padres were on the doorstep of the world series. It's like those teams were supposed to be right here in this last week playing meaningful games. 
Now, I will say the out of the disappointing teams, the least disappointing is the Yankees. And I say that because the Yankees are still an above 500 team, something the other three teams cannot say. <laughs> oh, the Padres so, are getting close, right? Uh, yeah, I think they're 77 and 79. Okay. Yeah, they so they're just they're just a little short, but they had to go on a nine and one run in the last ten games to get to that. Right. So, like, yeah, they're going to be close, but I don't think that I don't think it tells the true story of what happened this season. Like the Yankees, admittedly, are not a god awful team with as many issues as that team has, and as much as they disappointed their fans based on the expectations around the team. Um. They're not that bad. They just didn't live up to the expectations that everybody had for them. And that's what made them disappointing. Unlike the other teams, which just straight up said, oh, we're supposed to have any semblance of being a good team. Uh Uh-uh. Throw it away. Yeah, I I think the Padres are kind of more in the Yankees camp than the other two teams. I feel like they're, you know, they're still a good team. They were unlucky. They were extremely unlucky, and uh, that's something I want to look a little bit deeper into, but they're, like, historically unlucky in terms of, like, everything that happened in extra innings, and, and that's the one rule change we didn't really talk about because it's been in place for a couple of years, but the extra inning rule is just messing everything up, really, for a lot of these teams. Yeah, I still hate the Manford, man. Like, yes. I get it. It does seem to speed up some extra innings games but at the same time it doesn't because how many in how many games now go to like 14 innings because they score in the top and bottom there's been like one game this year that's uh gone to like the 14th inning i think but so like the games are ending faster that's for sure but they're ending in a less exciting way to me and those extra innings are just a slog with the teams going back and forth scoring the runs and the Padres have only scored six runs in, in extra innings in all their 12 games or something like that. It's just remarkable. Yeah. And then you start hearing some of the stuff with the Padres about just how like toxic the, the clubhouse environment is right now. Like it sounds like they're uh, I saw a notification here a little bit ago from trade rumors that they are planning on getting their payroll down to about 200 million a year and might be making some changes in the front office, which I feel like is going to be more on the AJ Preller side than it is going to be the Bob Melvin side. It's going to be interesting so. to see. He just got an extension, so. Yeah. Although, uh, does Bob Melvin have an ex- Did he get an extension? Uh, I don't think so, but yeah. Well, I, maybe I, maybe he will that's be the not one a go, good relationship, it doesn't seem like right now. So no. I can see Bob Melvin you know, going elsewhere after this year. Yeah. So what do you say? We talk about some happier stuff. Yeah, for sure. So with those teams, you know, falling off and, and just falling flat on their face, frankly, there were teams that had to take their place in, in the race. And at the beginning of the year, I said, there's four teams. I think that could be your sleeper teams here. And that, that was let, me, let me see if I can remember, because we didn't talk about this before the uh, before we started recording tonight. I believe you said that it was going to be 
uh, Texas. It was going to be Arizona. It was going to be Chicago. And it was going to be, was it Baltimore, the other one? Yep. So those are my four. And here we are. All four of those teams are either in the playoffs or, you know, close to making the playoffs with a good week. And they're all exciting teams for different reasons. The Orioles just completely blew my expectations for how good they were going to be. Like they are probably going to be the number one seed in the AL. And to me, this is a team that uh, they've got some like 2015 Cubs vibes to me because they have got all these young position players. Uh, They sort of arrived a year early and um, the sky is the limit for the team. But as we know what happened with the Chicago Cubs during that era, you know, they won the world series, but a lot of Cubs fans would say, you know, it wasn't as successful as it could have been. They, they struggled in the years following the world series. So you kind of have to, take every single postseason run and every opportunity like as you you can't be like thinking about the future it's like every year is separate and and kind of uh special so i think the orioles are like i'm super excited to see them play in the postseason and that's an awesome team this year yeah and this is an orioles team that like we knew that they were going to be relying on a lot of young guys. We knew that Adley was going to be a big factor. We knew that Gunner was probably coming up. They were going to get Grayson Rodriguez to the majors this year. But then they, like mid-season, or throughout the season, they added uh, or pulled up Heston Kerstad just like last week. Jordan Westberg came up a couple weeks ago. They've got, um, who else has been up uh, position player-wise? Uh, Joey Ortiz is up for a bit. Uh... I think Colton Kowser was there at some point. Yes, yes, he was. So they had basically seven prospects that they've been kind of riding throughout the year, getting them to what is currently a 97 and 59 record, which is one of the best records Baltimore has had in a very, very, very long time. Uh, If they can go 100 wins, it's going to be really nice because usually when you see 100 in their record, it's on the other side. But then the the most surprising thing to me is that they have 97 wins, only 666 runs allowed, which is pretty low. Oh, yeah. Behind like, behind a rotation of Kyle Bradish, Dean amazing. Kramer, Kyle Gibson, Grayson Rodriguez, and I can't remember who it was until John Means came back, but John Means just came back like two weeks ago. Like this yeah. is not a rotation that you would have expected to be this good. And they are getting a lot of really, really valuable innings out of guys like Bradish, out of guys like Grayson. After he went back to the minors, kind of found his, his feel again, came back up. He's been dominant. Absolutely. Yeah. Clearly the Orioles know what they're doing with pitchers because they can, they got, so much out of these guys that were not household names. They're still not household names, actually. Um, <laughs> do you know who, fun fact, who's the, the highest paid player on the Orioles this year? I feel like it's someone who's not on the Orioles this year. No, no, it is. A guy that's it is? on the Orioles, yeah. Okay, give me one sec to just... Uh, 
Is it Austin Hayes? No, it is Kyle Gibson, actually. Who uh, is it really? Probably their worst starter, but he's just a guy that goes out every five days and gives them like five, six innings. He's going to probably finish with a, around 190 innings. And that's just insanely valuable for the team that had like all these young starters who have never pitched so many innings in a season to have like that one reliable guy. So like credit to, to Kyle Gibson, even though he's not an amazing pitcher, he's a, he's a, he's a pitcher who's there. I, he's kind of a, a poor man's rich Hill. Yeah. Rich Hill. Well, rich Hill never gave the innings though. So oh, that's fair. He is not the poor man's rich Hill. He would be more of the, uh, no, Charlie Morton's always been good, and he's really not moved around the league a lot. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll come back to that one. Okay. Bartolo Colon. He's the poor man's Bartolo Colon. Pitched okay. for every team. Been pretty solid, but not amazing for most of the back end of Bartolo's career, at least. That's that's who Kyle Gibson reminds me of. Okay. Uh, completely opposite to Kyle Gibson um, in terms of talent and age are our rookies who have made so much impact this year. I feel like there's been more call-ups than ever before. I, I know I'm just like saying a lot of things that I feel like happened this year. I don't really have the numbers that back these things up, but this year there were so many prospect promotions. I don't know if that's because of the backlog of all the prospects that kind of stalled in development during COVID or there's just, an unusual wave of like top talent, but from the, from the get go, we had guys like Corbin Carroll, um, Gunnar Henderson, who were favorites for the rookie of the year. They've delivered on, on those prospects and they're probably going to be the guys that win those awards this year. Um, beyond those guys, just, just a huge list of names, James Altman, Matt McLean, uh, Patrick Bailey, Zach Geloff, Nolan Jones, Josh Young, um, list goes on. It seems like uh, teams are trusting these guys and, and they're ready, like closer to their debuts than other guys in the past that, you know, have their struggles. And, you know, we always see the str- struggle still, but we're seeing contributors all around the league. Even Even the A's have guys that come up and play great for them. So this, to me, feels like a, um, not a relic, What would, what's the word? Uh, it feels like a direct result of one of last year's rule changes that came with the new CBA. And that's a lot of the um, incentives to bring up your top prospects, to bring up these top 100 prospects, guys who could be in the running for rookie of the year. Is like... If your guy is top three in rookie of the year or Cy Young voting or MVP voting, I think in the first two years of them being in the majors, then you can. I mean, obviously, rookie of the year is just rookie season, but the other two, I think you get two or three years. I I think it's, yeah, I think it's pre ARB. Yes. Yes. I think you're right. If they're on an opening day roster, or and they get to that or whatever, then you get a draft pick, and it's so huge. and it's a draft yeah. pick that's like right after the the second round or something. Yeah, and so even the guys who are not 
living up to maybe the their rookie pet or their prospect pedigree in their rookie season. Guys like Anthony Volpe, guys like Jordan Walker, guys like uh, uh, I feel like there's one more. It was like a big guy like them. Um, Ellie De La Cruz, like um, those guys, even though they're not necessarily going to get a pick this year, like they called them up because them making their debuts when they did gets them on the clock for a pick even next year, or the year after that, if they develop into the, the player that they think they can be. Wait, so would it be MVP then? It, yeah, MVP and Cy Young for the oh, pitchers. Okay. So, so, so basically, it becomes quite a bit more difficult because you're competing against the entire. You're competing, league. yes, but some of these guys are guys that they had a shot at rookie of the year, Volpe and Walker. It didn't pan out, but they're guys that they have the the potential to go and be in the MVP conversation in the future. So, right. might as well get them on the clock, get them developing now and try and get some picks now before the CBA changes again. So that's kind of what it feels like to me. And then you see it on the, on the pitcher side too. We've had so many pitchers debut and uh, uh, Kodai Singa is a little bit different because he was, yeah. he's, he's an he's older guy, signing. international yeah. signing, but you got Tanner Bybee, Bobby Miller, Bryce Miller, Mason Miller, all the Millers, um, Andrew Abbott, Cole, uh, Cole Reagans. Yeah. Yeah, Cole Reagans, Hunter Brown, uh, Brandon Williamson, Logan Grayson, uh, Gavin Williams, Brand, uh, Braden Wu. Like the the list is insane of like these really really good pitching prospects that have been playing at the major league level for most of the season. Like a couple of them have gone through injuries. Mason Miller stands out to me as one of those guys. Um, but like it, Taj Bradley's been up and down, but. Like we're seeing a lot of aggressive pushing of these young, highly talented yet unproven prospects. Yeah, like perfect example is uh, Bryce Miller. You mentioned him earlier this episode. You said he's having a great year, and he is. Like he's having basically, he's exactly like a league average pitcher, and he's a guy that completely skipped AAA. They just called him up one day from Double A. They said, "Go, you're in the rotation." For the Mariners and uh he's basically run with it and not lost his job and um been exactly what you would want I think the guy that stands out to me is Tanner Bybee because he wasn't maybe even the most talented prospect in his own system but he went out and just had a phenomenal season he's actually on the the IL to end the year but like I was just so impressed by every start he just seemed like he was going out and given the guardian six uh, solid innings. So it's, it's awesome. Like the pitching talent that's, that's coming through these days. And uh, we got, we got lots of good pitching to watch. So one more little comment here based on kind of the, the point that I think you get essentially your pre-arb time to be top three of MVP to get another draft pick. well, Last year, the Mariners got a draft pick from Julio winning Rookie of the Year. Right. Well, rookie and uh, rookie Julio and Bobby Witt Jr. are both essentially at 30-30 seasons right now. Bobby needs one more home run, and he has a 30-30 season. Julio sure. already has it. Um, and these guys are like 
they're in the same league as Shohei, which is going to be a problem for winning an MVP. But in their second year, they're not just matching what they did last year. They're kind of blowing it out of the water. And Julio was terrible to start the year. So the fact that he's finishing the year better than what he did last year is amazing. And so I think while talking about this year's rookies, we still have to talk about last year's rookies because these guys are true superstars. Oh, yeah. They've now done it two years in a row at 20 and 21 years old. Like, is Julio really having a better season than last year? I guess uh, it's pretty close. So, like, in terms of the homers and the steals and the counting stats and everything, yes. And his defense is better this year, too. So kind of, yeah, just in general, he's having a better season. Like it, it required an absolute torrid second half after a terrible first half, but that's, overall, that's right. the, yeah, but I'm not overall the numbers that, are right? better. I don't think no, any player for like having a cold part and then having a hot part usually, because those are the things that just seem like for, for superstar players, you know, over time, they're going to get back to, their career levels it, or like, like the whatever. first five years of Bryce's career. It was always that like he always started slow and then was hot in the back half of the season. So like, it's kind of the same thing, but it just, people always blow it out of proportion at the beginning of the year, whenever someone's struggling like that. Yeah. But Makes then, sense. then you talk at the end of the season, like this is his best season of his career. It's like, is it really? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, okay. So unfortunately we have to talk about some injuries that have happened with these pitchers. There's not been very many of those. No, no, there's not many Tommy John surgeries these days. Pitchers all throw like 82 miles per hour. And, uh, no, unfortunately with the rise in velocity, the rise in, uh, you know, insane stress being placed on these pitchers, you know, arms, we've got like, just tons of pitchers that have gone through. I'm, Go ahead. I'm counting 22 on our list. And then I only and, count. I only added guys that were at the major league level. So that's not even counting all the minor league. Well, and there's one notable name that I'm not seeing on there. And that's Felix Bautista. He has not had Tommy John surgery. He's rehabbing. I feel like, I feel like he's going to though. He's playing catch. He's trying to come back this year. <sighs> that's true. Yeah. So, so like, basically, if you were a raised pitcher not named Zach Eflin, you probably have Tommy John surgery or are recovering at this point. So, Jeffrey Springs, uh, Drew, Drew Rasmussen had the internal brace. Um, who was that other pitcher? Was Brew Baker, uh, was he Ray? No, nah, he was on the Pirates. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, JT Chargois is the, the he's one that's all, on the He's race. on the Marlins now. What? Yeah. Oh my God. Um, JP Fire Rising, is he still on the race? <laughs> uh, he might be on the Dodgers. Oh my God. <laughs> so I guess, do you see any, I, I've been thinking about this question for, for a while. Is there any chance that there is a correction and some team says, hey, we are going to try to limit injuries? Somehow the Guardians have maybe figured something out because they seem to have like the least number of pitchers that actually have Tommy John surgery. But where a team prioritizes 
other skills rather than velocity in their pitchers. I don't know that it's imminent, but I do think it will happen. Yes. But at this point, like to me, it doesn't seem like a real successful path, right? Because clearly if you throw harder and you throw nastier pitches, you get better results, like without any regard for the, basically the repercussions of, of doing those things. Yeah, and I, I think it's going to come down to, is there a way to almost punish the team for doing it? Because if there's not, it's just going to continue like this. They're just going to find guys who can throw really hard and then hope that people swing and miss at it, and they'll do it without repercussion forever because they aren't required to sign a guy to a 15-year contract. They can sign him to a one-year deal, burn his arm out, toss him to the side, get a new guy that can do the exact same thing. That's what the race So Exactly. And so there's going to be teams that don't really prioritize the type of skills that tend to lead to Tommy John. Like the Cardinals don't have flamethrowers. They have a lot of pitch to contact guys, and that's how they've always done things. And it seems like they're still going to struggle to move towards a more uh, firepower and just overpower the hitter approach that some teams do. So I, I think you'll find different ways to try and get around this um, and get production without the big flame throwing, uh, massive sweeper pitches and all that. But I don't know that it's going to be quick. I think eventually something will be discovered. I just, I don't know what it is. And it feels like it's going to be five years out before anything starts to change. Because I mean, it, it took what, 10 years for it to go from guys that were throwing 95 and had like big curveballs and stuff similar to your Clayton Kershaw's, your Adam Wainwright's, your Charlie Morton's to get to what we have today. Now we've had about a five year period where we've had both the more finesse guys that threw 95, obviously their velocity is dropping and they're leaving the league. So it feels like we've got like five years of a majority overpower and then we'll find something and we'll start to adapt. It just, that's kind of the natural flow of baseball. It seems. Well, the natural flow has been increased velocity every year. It's going up and up and up and up. So are we limited somewhere or are we just going to keep stretching those uh, boundaries? I mean, I I still think it's kind of been cyclical even with the speed, though, because like you had guys like uh, Bob Gibson and Nolan Ryan and, and Randy Johnson that could touch 100 and, and you had – it wasn't every guy in the league that could do it, but you had like a somewhat substantial amount of people that could do it. Tom Hinky in in the bullpen, um, like he could touch those high velocities. Eric Gagne, like you've had those type of guys always. We just are trying to teach people to be that now instead of just having the ones that can naturally do it, do it. So I think it will change. And I think Basketball it'll be more sick. All time high. It's 94.1 miles per hour this year. Amazing. Yeah. All right. So what else we got here? I think I, I didn't write this down here, but we talked about how bad the, the Rockies have been. There's a couple other teams that have just been dreadful, specifically the A's who 
they're going to avoid losing like 120 games like we might have thought they would at the beginning of the year. Like they had a couple winning streaks in there, uh, a couple two-game winning streaks every once in a while. And um, they're going to probably end up with around 110 losses. But this team was like purposely assembled to be dreadful. This bad. And they have delivered on that promise. And we talked through a lot of uh, the stadium stuff going on with them potentially moving to Vegas. I mean, I'm not exactly sure where we are on that, but that's a big storyline of this season. Um, that was really unfortunate, though, that what has happened to that franchise and their fans are just like completely just screwed over. In the fact that there's been collusion of 31 people to allow it to happen. Like, there's things that could have been done to prevent this from happening. Who's the 31st person? Manfred. Oh, okay. So the 30 owners, including... um, Whichever Fisher it is, John, John Fisher um, and Rob Manfred, they are all at fault for this A's team intentionally selling off for virtually zero return of promising talent, all of their existing talent in fielding a team that didn't draw fans with the intent of draw or of lowering the uh, overall attendance to then use that as an excuse to say, well, we don't draw fans, yada, 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 to then say we should move to a place that we can get fans. It's ridiculous. I've ranted about this time and time and time again, and I will continue to rant about it probably until John Fisher no longer has a team. I think there's, there's essentially four owners, maybe five, Four or five that I will just, uh, yeah, five, five owners that I will just scream about at any point in time. Actually, six. I'm going to make it six because Peter Angelos, too. There's probably um, more when you really start looking into these owners. They're not the, the best. true, but but the the biggest ones to me are John Fisher, a half step Dick Monfort like a step and a half. And then you have Castellini nutting art Moreno and Peter Angelos. And those are the six that I think should not be allowed to have teams period. The rest of them have a lot of big problems, but they're at least not intentionally to the same extent screwing over their fans. Yeah. And, uh, Surprise, not surprising to anyone. Like, not many of those teams are super successful. Yeah. In fact, none of them have proven success. The, obviously, oh. the Orioles are good this year, and they haven't even made the play, or they hadn't even made the playoffs yet. They have now, but they hadn't at the time. And Peter Angelos, or John, whichever one's young enough that he actually still does stuff, basically said that uh, enjoy it while it lasts because we're not signing back these young guys. So they've already screwed over their team five years from now, and they haven't even made it to the postseason in the first one yet. Right. So. Okay. Uh, Underrated guys, personal MVPs. What do you got? 
So when you're asking about a personal MVP, are you th- are you asking like who I think is being voted the MVP or who, no, in no, my opinion, nothing, is has nothing to do with the MVP actual vote, which was it was an awesome race in in the National League, but just guys that maybe were your favorite guys to watch or something like that. Ooh. I mean, he's in the actual uh, he's in the actual MVP race, but Matt Olson, I think, has to be one of them. Like, this is a guy that he's been good his entire career. Nobody really knew it until he left Oakland to uh, and got traded over to the Braves. And then he's now set the Braves uh, franchise record for home runs in a season. And he's he's showing off his skills in that he's always had in front of an actual crowd that can appreciate it. And he's very much helped his team go on to, uh, to put up the best record in baseball. I mean, we yelled at the Braves for getting rid of Freddie and you can still yell at them for that, but they have lost little to no production from that position. In fact, you, you could argue that they've increased it. Yeah. You can, you can easily make that case. So, my guy's um, kind of similar to yours. Uh, it's Corey Seager. I don't think people are appreciating his season because he's only played 112 games. But once he hits one more home run, he'll have set his career high in home runs. He's got 33 right now. And this guy has just been robotic. Like, just every game, he's he's having like a two for four, it feels like, and and hitting a double and a home run. It's like... He's slugging 645 this year, and he's not going to win the MVP. Shohei exists, and he hasn't played enough games. But I just wish we could get a like a full wire to wire Corey Seager season, like in the state that he's in right now, because he is insane right now. So I want to give one to a pitcher as well. That uh, if you don't mind, <clears throat> and it's a guy who has. Always, with the exception of his stint with exactly one team, been a really good pitcher. He has always been underrated. Uh, and that is Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray is quietly having the third best ERA in the major leagues. 180 innings pitched. Slightly fewer strikeouts per nine than like a Garrett Cole. But his numbers are pretty much Garrett Cole-esque. Yeah. Like his ERA, his FIP, his uh, batting average against, his his uh, home runs given up is, is in, like it's twice as good as Garrett Cole's. And Garrett Cole's is good this year. So, but, so Sonny Gray very much deserves some attention and appreciation that he's really never got because he didn't yeah. get it when he played in Oakland he did not play well in, in New York, but then he was really good in Cincinnati and he's been really good in Minnesota as their ace when they don't truly have like an ace. They have a bunch of number twos. They don't have a true ace, but he is filled in and has done it really, really well for a couple of years now. Yeah, it's crazy that he doesn't get the attention even with that sparkling ERA, right? Does he have the best ERA in the National League, in the, in the American League? Uh, he is just barely behind Garrett Cole. Okay. Garrett Cole has a two seven five, and Sonny Gray has a two eight. So usually that gets a lot more attention, and I feel like 
no one is talking about him. More people are talking about Pablo Lopez on his own team. And, and Joe uh, Ryan. Yeah, Joe Ryan too. But uh, yeah, awesome season for Sonny and that whole team that is, like I said a couple of weeks ago, they are just like, they are like the quiet team in, in the playoffs that could make a run that no one is really expecting because they got that strong pitching and pretty good offense too. So. Let's wrap things up here with some general thoughts on this season. Like what, what did the season mean to you? Like, what do you like about it? What do you hate about it? What was 2023? Weird. I think that's the way to sum it up in one word and expanding just a little bit more on that. As I said, at the top of the hour, this season is a season unlike any that we've really seen in the last probably five to 10 years. It just seems like the teams at the top are teams that have not been at the top for a long time. Um, Teams are in the playoff race that for years you would just say are probably out by June. Um, Teams like the Orioles, teams like the Diamondbacks, the the Rangers. Even the Reds are in it, technically. Yeah, the Reds are still in it. Um, And it's really refreshing to see this newness. Now, obviously, that comes with a lot of disappointing teams in the teams that are always there, the teams like the Cardinals, the teams like the Yankees. Um, this is the first time since I since before I was in high school that the Cardinals have had a, a losing season. And it's hard to watch. It is really hard to watch. I I've never really wished a losing season on anyone other than you. Um <laughs> I, I think that's just the nature of it, but it's so bad. And like you, you can feel bad for bad teams while rooting for a good team. Like, I mean, seeing the, uh, the A's and what they're going through, like that is a little bit different than like looking at the, the Royals and seeing what they're going through. Cause the Royals are bad and it just, they're just bad because they're not bad to spite people like the A's. So it's really easy to feel bad for A's fans. A little harder to feel bad for Royals fans, other than the fact that their team is just bad. But when you finally have a losing season, after a very long time of not, you start to realize what the other people are feeling. And it's like, oh, I don't like this. Yeah, you're finally experiencing it. Like when you're an adult and like following the game, like super closely, like you do now. And yeah. uh, it's tough. Yeah. I feel for you. I don't feel for the Cardinals or the fans in general, because they've had so much success. It's like one bad season. It's I, I have bad season every year, basically. Oh yeah. I mean, you're a bears fan. So yes, you do. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, well, and, yeah. and to be fair, I'm a Rams fan. So I also did know what it felt like. <laughs> Right. But I you just didn't really know, liked you didn't that know the I didn't, baseball side. Yeah. Yeah. I just liked that I didn't have to do that in two sports. So hopefully the Rams are good this year because. Uh, yeah. But but I will say, even in those terrible seasons, there's still like little pieces of uh, glimmers of hope, fun little things that happen throughout the course of the season. You know, I know you're a big milestones guy, right? Your I'm a guys huge milestones guy. Get to milestones and you 
get some enjoyment out of that appreciation for it and everything. And those, those things happen even on like the awful teams. And that's what I like about. And the other thing that uh, I've kind of noticed is it allows you to appreciate and, and root through the growing pains of some of the big rookies. Cause like Jordan Walker is one, he's the biggest prospect the Cardinals have had since Albert Pujols as far as like prospect hype and, and supposed ceiling. Um, and we saw him on opening day. You got to like, he went on a seven game hit streak to start his career. That's hard. He did really cool things and he struggled a lot. And being able to actually watch him grow and know that like, he's not the Achilles heel of the team. He's not the reason they're bad. So let's leave him up, let him work through it. And then you see his growth. Like his defense is now average at the end of the season. Like look at it month by month. He's actually average to slightly above in right field after being abysmal at the beginning of the year. So you get to see those things and actually appreciate the growth as it's going Whereas normally they would get benched, they'd get sent down, whatever. You wouldn't get to see it. So that's that's like a silver lining of a disappointing season like this. Yeah, so. you see the you see the growth, you see the beginning to the end, basically the finished product. Maybe that's not here yet, but you can see the, the yeah. signs of it. Um, I'll give my answer, which is kind of opposite of yours, but you know. Following baseball, a lot of times we follow individual team, our favorite team, whatever, more closely than the rest. And this Cubs season has been really extremely fun for me to watch because I wasn't expecting this. I, I was expecting a more interesting team than than the teams we've seen the last two years. But I thought, okay, they maybe can make the playoffs. They can maybe be where they are at this point in the season. But I didn't think it was going to be such an entertaining team to watch. And uh, I had kind of almost forgotten what it was like to watch a really entertaining team day in and day out. And that's what the 2023 Cubs have been this year. And and here we are, last week of the season, they've got a chance to make the playoffs. Even if they don't make it, we literally went through the entire season and they were always in it. And that's that's all I could have asked for for this season. And um, I'm pleased to, to have watched the season and it it was, it was a ton of fun. Yeah. So I think the kind of last thing that I'm thinking is it's going to make for a really fun postseason. So I'm really, really looking forward to these next couple weeks talking just talking through this postseason um i i don't know how we're gonna do it yet what format we're gonna do because we've done a couple different things in the past but like being able to look at entirely new teams that are built entirely differently than usual because it it seems like the last couple postseasons it's been wash rinse repeat from one year to the next this is what this team is good at and bad at this is what they need to do now we get to talk about new teams teams that are built entirely differently, like this Orioles team that's built almost entirely on rookies. Um, and that's going to be really fun to break down in the, in the postseason. So I'm yeah. looking forward to it. Fresh, totally fresh matchups. And 
this is the second time now that we're having the um the 12 team playoffs right yes i think so so get another sampling of what that's going to look like and it was fun last year i think it's going to be fun again this year for sure oh yeah we're definitely going to do a couple of uh uh watch parties so sounds good yeah okay so that's 2020 23 season that we're putting a wrap on here basically with another week to go but love to hear everyone else's thoughts on this season i'm sure we missed plenty of different things we could have talked about here but i think we did a good job of uh hitting on some of the major stuff so thank you for listening and uh we'll be back next week and um we'll have playoff matchups set If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app or YouTube to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Getaway Day Pod. If you enjoy card collecting, check out our sister YouTube channel at Getaway Day Cards.